Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj-Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. I'm also very happy to announce that we've got one of our good friends at the podcast here. His name is Michael Bonofsky um, from May I Drive Your Car, both the YouTube channel and newsletter. And, well, he's a veteran of the industry. He knows his stuff. I'm always eager to talk to him or hear from him. Michael, why don't you say hello, too? Hey, everyone. Good to be here. Um, a very exciting – this is a very exciting time for me. I mean, um, Michael has has been an influence in the industry for a, for a very long time, I think, and uh, I'm always eager to hear from him. And apparently I'm not the only one, uh, as his – his Twitter account has been blowing up uh, due to a recent tweet, which I think we'll get about we'll get to later. But we should probably start this week's episode by by talking to Ben about the latest high performance vehicle he's been driving. Ben, take it away, man. Sure. Uh, that was a, that was a, an unusual intro, and I I find myself uh, on uneven footing. But I will I'll try to I'll try to push through it, Sammy. Well, is it because you wanted to plug your usual publications like we always do at the beginning of our episodes? No, honestly, I've forgotten all of my publications because it exactly. is, we, we've received two to three inches of snow over the last two hours. And all I've been doing is just staring out my window with like a mounting sense of dread. But at the back of my mind, I know it's going to rain tomorrow and I'm not going to have to shovel any of it. So I'm trying really hard to just enjoy the sensation of living in a snow globe. The sensation of living in a snow globe. It's it's mesmerizing. Yeah, it's like, you know, being trapped under a glass dome is a little bit unnerving. Like, I can't leave the city. I can't visit my family. Um, we're starting to run out of food. But it is beautiful. It's undeniably an, an aesthetic win for Montreal. And I think overall, that's that's good. Those are good feelings to have. That's really all that matters. I know Michael is also in Quebec. Michael, <laughs> is it snowing where you are? And do you have the ability to leave the city? Or are you also trapped by a mysterious, transparent, yet extremely solid dome? You know, it is very much snowing right now. And I hope to be on the road tomorrow morning at about 4am to get to Ontario. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I hope oh. that the rain snow mix, you know, changes in my favor around 3:55 a.m. It's so hard to time it. It's so hard to time it. <laughs> that is that's important. You've been watching the 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 re- the weather radar, haven't you? I have not actually. Uh, I've got snow tires and I have a whole day to do a 10-hour drive and I'm just going to leave early and go as slowly as needed. Uh, uh, understood. And I think that's the that's the right approach. Uh, when driving through a snowstorm. Ben, come on, tell me about this BMW you drove. So speaking of going as slowly as needed, I kind of had to do that too with the vehicle that I had last week and also largely due to snow and cold situations. I I had a 2023 BMW X3 M competition, Sammy. And Um, I'm going to give you you two guesses. Actually, I'm going to give you four guesses as to why I had to go slow in the snow. Uh, One, it was too much power. Uh, given the the uh, the conditions of the road, incorrect. Wow, I got that one wrong. Keep keep going. Okay, two tire problems. Yes, but tell me uh, tell me more. You know why? I can't remember. Well, I, I'm just gonna point out. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> It's a little I have worrisome. A goldfish, apparently. I thought we were gonna be able to riff on it, but I guess not. So the what happened? Most BMWs that we get in the winter 
Um, and actually, a fair slice of high-performance SUVs across many factors come with Pirelli. I believe they're Sato Zero or Scorpion. Oh, this conversation? Yeah. So the, the vehicle – Michael, have you ever driven anything with any form of Pirelli winter tire before? I remember working a long time ago at a Volvo dealer, and if anything came in with a Pirelli, the dealer just switched it for a different tire entirely <laughs> before putting it on the lot. See, that is that is exactly what I'm talking about. This, this So – my impression is that Pirelli, their version of winter doesn't involve snow or slush. So they're, they're just like, okay, here's a rubber compound that will be sort of sticky in the cold and everything else is is totally secondary. So in the in the X3, because the, the M competition goes to 21-inch rims over the 20s that you see on the regular M, the tires are super wide. So with no real way to channel slush or snow, it just kind of hydroplanes or snowplanes yeah. across everything. Which is convenient when I'm trying to do a U-turn on my street because all I had to do was crank the wheel and hit the gas and it would just fishtail like instantly into the lane and and that was perfect. But when I would come in to try to do like a slow U-turn and park in front of my house, it would just push, push, push to the outside, go up on the sidewalk, come back down again. And I'm talking like three miles an hour and it still can't make this corner. And it's all – it's nothing to do with the BMW. It has all to do with the tires. So – during the couple of days I had it where it snowed excessively, it was a little bit of an adventure to drive around. I I immediately erase all memory of these Pirellis out of my mind because they usually are one of the most uh, compromised aspects of the cars that we test, I think, when we're driving them in the winter. I, I really feel these. Uh, now, I don't think if they were – I can't remember if they were these ones or the Scorpions, but – Man, I have a really bad go with with uh, how these things perform in in real winter conditions. Yeah, it's they're 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 at best winter adjacent tires. I think is the best yeah. way to put it. Um, probably good until about late December when you're going to start dealing with r- regular snowfall, and then it's time to put them away for it's it's like like, like dry like, cold condition. Like that's it's, what it's, it's like a one month tire. You get like a good <laughs> you get a good November out of it, and then part of December, and then it's time go. to move on. And don't even think about the spring because if the roads are wet, I mean anyway. So okay, so what's the story with this X three M? Uh, competition. What is it competing in here? So it's competing against um, top-level AMG S stuff. It's competing against, I guess, kind of the the Model Y in in, in like a really abstract sense. Uh, it's competing against the Jaguar SVR, the F the was the F Pace that we had recently um, mm-hmm. on the show. I guess it was like a couple months ago. But there's the the thing about this vehicle, and almost exactly a year ago, I was driving an X3 that was the M340i. So the kind of not I guess you could call it mid-tier if you view yeah. the the if you view the the Turbo 4 as the base and the X3M competition as the top. Mm-hmm. But the thing about the X3M competition is it kind of feels like and I said this on an, in an Instagram post it kind of feels like more X3 and less X3 at the same time in okay. the in the sense that it has insane amounts of power, so it's it's even more power than the X3M. It's like 30 more horsepower. It's like 503 horsepower from the 3-liter 6, and additional torque, 479 pound-feet of torque. It's very quick, 3.3 seconds to 60, which is faster, I think, than an M3 sedan, and which is impressive okay. given that it's actually wow. a little bit heavier. <laughs> um, but all of that comes at the price where all the good things that I like about the X3 are kind of subdued by the by what the competition brings to the table. Michael, have you been in an X3 recently? 
No, not at all. Uh, I, I I think the last time I was in an X3 was when it was the size of an X2. <laughs> Current <laughs> X2. Those are good days. Uh, I know that you recently drove a, a Mach-E, uh, a Mustang Mach-E, which is about X3 size. What trim level did you have? I had the Highway 1 with the 92 kilowatt hour battery and the E all-wheel drive, the dual motor. So um, I've got my specs here, actually. Uh, it had... 346 horsepower, 428 mm-hmm. pound-feet of torque, uh, or thereabouts. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was relatively quick. It was spacious. Um, but, you know, I think you touched upon it as well. Like, that's sort of the curse of being, uh, you know, testing out cars, where you have something for a week or two, and a lot of the discussion ends up being monopolized by the kind of, not dumb things we do with cars but kind of the silly things we do with cars to go you know like does this understeer does this oversteer what will happen like uh the mercedes i had after that uh it was turning into a mall parking lot deliberately a little fast and it just you know plowed like i was farming (laughs) something uh and it's just you know one of those things where it's a kind of controlled environment you try it out and i'm not gonna I'm not going to say the vehicle was terrible or anything like that because of it, it understeering into a you know into a lot or, or through a turn. But you could say light pole. You can say it. You're among friends. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't do any restyling, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but uh, it's just amazing, you know. And that that uh, Mercedes, it was a AMG GLB 35, and I think it had like 21 inch tires uh, or sorry wheels with. Uh, I think 255, 35 tires on it. Oh my goodness. I believe we're Michelin Pilot Alpins or something around that that caliber of tire. And, you know, in that that cold situation, icy road uh, entrance to a highway where it's very well traveled, a parking lot where it's very well traveled, like there's no way it's going to turn. I mean, no car is going to turn, but you got to try it, right? And then we have to report on it, and we we look like everyone looks, you know, wild. Like, how could it be so bad, right? <laughs> like, well, every car will kind of struggle yeah. in this situation. To get back to the to the Mach-E they were talking about, have you driven the GT version? Because I have not. I have not either. Um, I have a friend who drove one, and and he was complaining about the range a little bit. Uh, and I think it's the, the other one that's on the the fleet right now in Ontario. Let's say. Uh, I think it's about twenty thousand dollars more expensive than the one I had. Wow! And I don't know where you'd fit that into the car exactly. If you get like a a velvet roof box or something, or like <laughs> if the seats are, <laughs> you know, like what kind of leathers on in there. But uh, yeah, I, I had it. I found it hard to believe that. You know, it's the same dichotomy of like, let's give them nine hundred more horsepower, and we'll charge thousands of dollars more for it. Well, there's, um, without there's always, really improving, yeah. There's always that market, right? There's always the person though who only wants the most expensive whatever you're looking at, I guess, kind of thing. Uh, I was I was asking about the GT because one of the things that kept popping up for me when I was driving the M competition were the differences between it and the uh, the M340i, which I really liked. And a lot of those differences had to do with the fact that BMW was pushing this extreme performance agenda with this one vehicle. And to do that, it required a whole bunch of compromises in areas where I think the X3 excels when those compromises aren't made. So it was kind of this weird situation where I was driving something that was super quick 
and could handle relatively well for its size and weight. And yet at the same time, I kept kind of wishing that I was driving the lesser version of the vehicle. And this really Mm -hmm. popped up uh, when when it came to the drivetrain. Like the, the, (coughs) excuse me, there's an eight-speed automatic in this thing. And it has that crazy BMW three modes of shifting that's on the shifter where you push a button and there's a corresponding... Oh, yeah, there's like a... Isn't there like a Wi-Fi signal that like yeah, pops up? there's like a little LED thing that gives you one of three modes. And I assume it's for like harder shifts or quicker shifts and whatnot. But really, it's it's part and parcel of the fact that the 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 more money you spend on an on a on an M vehicle, the more complicated it gets to just simply get in and drive it, right? Like it's not yeah. a, it's not enough yeah. that it has driving modes, but it also has to have like these modes within the modes. Like the transmission is independent of the driving mode, but you can also program it in the driving mode. And then when I looked at the driving modes themselves, it had like road. Uh, track and uh, individual but it had no eco mode and there was no comfort mode like you would normally see in a bmw suv so i was really kind of siloed into this world where it was all performance all the time and the transmission was holding gears longer than i wanted it to and the suspension was stiff to the point where even just slow driving over speed bumps in my neighborhood you know you're, you're really feeling it and and all of these things are absent from the m the, the non-M version, or I guess the, the what's the word, uh, lowercase M version. Lowercase the, M, yes. The 340i, which is a really comfortable vehicle, yet still also crazy quick. I mean, I, I kind of dislike that the that middle model of these three that we're talking about is considered a, a sort of Goldilocks, because I think it still can be, um, with the right packages or the wrong packages, it could still be uncomfortable. It can still be very expensive. And I, I think the four cylinder one does the trick for the most, the most buyers out there without really breaking the bank, relatively speaking to, to luxury crossovers. The, the M version of this car though, like last time we talked about it, we, we said it's a lot of vehicle um, and it doesn't seem to correspond to sort of track worthiness that the M brand exudes like that that attitude that the m brand is supposed to exude i think we're now post that i don't know if there is really a track car in the m lineup that is supposed to represent that that characteristic is well i mean it's not really a car right like this is again no but i think that's an important distinction to make because you're dealing with this high center of gravity and a lot of weight and all of that that comes with the idea that you're going to be hauling cargo while you're turning in hot laps (laughs) and and it's a compromise in itself. And I think that like the regular X3M is not such a bad compromise, but when you get into the world of the competition with the bigger wheels and the, the additional power, I I kind of feel like you're kind of brushing up against the edge of a pleasant driving experience on the day to day versus being able to impress people question mark at a track day. Yeah. Um, Now, like what is the, can you imagine, is there a, is there a, a day, let's say you have this car, let's say you have this crossover, okay? And you live in a neighborhood with a track. I'm with you. And yeah, you, you like this idea. I'm liking it. Between you and your grocery store, your local grocery store is a track. How many times would you just ro- roll onto that track, do a couple of laps, 
uh, on your way to the grocery store or on the way back, right? Well, this is the this Nord. Is the, I think this is the hypothetical cu- customer that BMW is hoping for. Unless it's the Nordschleife, I don't think there's a track that has such a like generous admission policy <laughs> as part of a commute. I don't know. You get a membership. It's easy. You just scan your card and you're in. Scan my card, my track card. Yeah. I always wonder with these, you know, the the hopped up uh, competition versions of of things. Actually, I really like the color. I will say the the like highlighter. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It was green. It, it was uh, nice in the snowstorms during the week because it was impossible to lose. Off and, and this is here's a thing that again only people in our profession will relate to. Unfortunately, but there are many times where I walk out onto the street or into a parking lot and I don't remember what I'm driving offhand. Because it changes every week and because so much of what we drive is is crossovers that look like other crossovers, it can be really easy to walk by the vehicle that you're supposed to get in and go home with. But with this highlighter color, that is never a problem. Like you are one of one in that parking lot. I always wonder, though, with, with these vehicles, uh, I'm not ever sure that they're developed with a target market in mind. That might be hearsay. I'm sure it's on a PowerPoint somewhere, you know, in Munich, like that we developed it, the competition for this exact, you know, buyer. Yeah. But I find that, you know, when they turn over the platform like an X3 to the M engineers, like it's almost by virtue of them doing a better job, they create a less desirable product for mm-hmm. the large majority of driving situations you're going to find yourself in because yes, I'm sure yeah. they they looked at it and they went, Oh, we'll make it stiffer. Great. We'll make it handle better. Great. We'll give it more power. Awesome. And then when you put it all together, you know, on real roads, real people driving that don't understand or or really care, you end up in these situations where, as you say, like you're, you're in sport mode all the time. And it's like, you're not driving to Wimbledon because the match is, is beginning. You know, you're you're not, uh, you don't have to cut up traffic on the way uh, to work. Uh, you know, you're just trying to get the Whole Foods or whatever. Yeah, and I I have actually talked people, friends, out of buying competition versions of BMW SUVs for exactly those reasons. Like they've they've come across a deal or something. Like uh, a friend of mine wanted to buy one for his mother, and uh, as wow. a daily as an a X3M a X3M competition as a daily wow. driver, they come across one. It was an inventory, and this was during the period where it was hard to get vehicles. Right, and and I was I was like, look. An X3 is a great vehicle as a daily. Uh, I, I completely get that. But I think she's going to be really I, – I, I know his mom. And I think she's going to be really disappointed with the comfort level that you're going to get from this vehicle. It's just not something that's livable on a daily basis unless you're super into the idea of what that vehicle is supposed to be. And I think that's a small demographic. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you know, considering the consumables, right? Like you oh, yes. call a BMW dealer and go, hey, how much are a replacement set of 21 inch tires for this? Yeah. How much is a set of winters? And I think that would dissuade a lot of people pretty quickly. And and the fuel mileage is also fairly horrendous. I took a it was it was cold, but not super cold. Let's say right around the freezing point. I took a trip about an hour outside the city and there and back probably about 150 miles in total 100 miles somewhere in that range and i got 16 miles sorry 14 miles per gallon in combined driving most of my driving was this road trip during that week that's five miles per gallon below the epa combined rating which is not great and certainly not entirely um, explainable just by the cold and that's going to be a factor if you have any kind of commute i mean looking at how aggressive 
the gearing is in this vehicle, how aggressive the transmission. The transmission kept shifting out of eighth gear into seventh gear on the highway <laughs> while cruise control was engaged. In a well, that's nice of it. And, and I wasn't even going up like an incline or anything. I was just like, all of a sudden the engine would get a little louder and I would look down and it's like suddenly we're in seventh. And I don't know if like the M competition gods knew, knew things were about to go down. Like there was like a, a potential racing scenario lurking just around the corner and I had to be ready. But uh, that was a bit frustrating. And and it's not jarring or anything, but it's certainly not helping that fuel mileage that I can't access the eighth gear. (laughs) Um, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, Michael said. He mentioned, you know, he he doesn't think that there's like a like a target a demographic for this car. I actually am starting to agree with him. It's um, or maybe it's just people who have more money to spend and they're able to capture that that market. Right. Like they can just (coughs) I, I, I think that's that's. We've, we've joked that there's some people who walk into a dealership and just say, give me the, the fanciest version of that car, and they'll they'll take it. And this is what this car feels like. I don't know. Well, it's not even that fancy, though, is it? It's just loud. You know, the other aspect with, with BMWs and Mercedes, actually the German cars especially, is the, you know, the, the aftermarket for those cars is still quite strong. And, you know, if, if you are in the tower in Munich uh, doing product planning, uh, the competition M versus uh, a Hartke pack or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever stuff you're going to be adding to it as an aftermarket thing. I think it kind of does make sense if you were going to be buying an X3 right. and you were going to make it more powerful. Like it is nice to know you can get the competition one from the factory with a warranty and all that, all that good stuff. Um, but other than that, use case it's 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 hard um but then again i'm not shopping for super suvs it's it's yeah. also not that much more expensive to get the competition i think it's only like five thousand dollars more i mean the car is 75 grand to begin with yeah and then the x3 m uh, sorry the m competition i believe is like 81 uh I, I can't find pricing on bmw's site i'm finding pricing on car and driver i can't for some reason i can't build an M competition for 2023. I can just build a regular M, but uh, that's that's really not it. I mean, for you, you know, for the horsepower and the torque that you get, I guess that's a reasonable amount of money. But oh, here I found it. It's seven. It's seven thousand dollars more. Seven thousand dollars more. Okay. It's a package as a regular X, uh, X3M. Now I believe you can also add the M drivers package to the X3M competition, and that gives you a higher top speed. So you go from huh. 155 to 177. So you get another 22 miles per hour, Sammy. And Michael, do you think that that extra 22 miles per hour gets you closer to seeing God on the Autobahn? Yeah, for sure. Of course it does. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and judging by the YouTube videos, there are a quite, a, quite a number of people that have been drag racing them for whatever reason. It seems like that's what this this car is made to this crossover is made to do, right? It's like, super quick. It feels super quick. It feels very competent. I have no problem with the, the how the vehicle handles itself. I just, as Michael pointed out, I don't think most people need it. And, and I don't yeah. even mean needed as in like, oh, it's expensive and, and a fast performance SUV. I just mean like I feel like it's a level above even that in terms of the sacrifices that are forced to be made in order to enjoy that. I think it's much – I would much rather have the X the, – the M340i, which I think is a really great vehicle at its size and price point and just enjoy everything else about the X3 that's good and not have to worry about like – the constant need to race everyone who pulls up beside me or to, you know, flash my headlights on the Autobahn. It's just, it's just, I don't, I don't have that desire in every vehicle I own, I guess. I, uh, I agree with that. I also can't help but think about, you know, the arms race in this segment. I mean, we used to have the, what was the name of the, I mean, it's a bit bigger, but the, 
Trackhawk, right? Used to yeah. have 700 horsepower. 702 um, or something. 707. And, you know, we thought that was sort of it. And I, I keep thinking everyone wants to reach that level again um, for no reason other than to just say, we've done it. We can make a faster SUV. I wanted to also change this because I was talking a little bit about the branding. Um, when you go to the BMW website and you click on their M page, they now have like three different tiers of of M vehicles. They call all of the like real M, like what do you even call it? Capital M vehicles, the powerhouses. They call their electric vehicles the pioneers, and then they call all of the small M ones we call like the M two forties or three forties. They call them the athletes. What? Um, which is an interesting <laughs> approach to how you how you market these kind of vehicles. Powerhouse in uh, pioneers and athletes i don't know who <sighs> okay if i'm buying yeah. a car i don't want to be a pioneer I, that that brings to mind like maybe one day i go out to the old conestoga wagon and it doesn't turn on or something or <laughs> there you go it leaves me stranded on the moon or <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it's gonna do i want i want the reliable m is that one there no there is not a single reliable m here sorry oh my goodness well that's disappointing. Um, but um <laughs> Moving on, I wanted to talk about um, a tweet from our friend Michael here that gained a lot of attention. He said, "On uh, it was actually just yesterday. It's the whole reason we booked both... him on the show. Yes. Yep. Really... Lightning booking. Uh, I dropped everything. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, he's, he claims you can both love cars and hate a car-dependent society. And that's gained a lot of attention. A lot of people uh, chiming in on that conversation. Michael, what were you? What was on your mind when you said this? Thing? Yeah, do you want to expand beyond those few characters in a in a totally different medium? You don't medium? have to. I mean, honestly, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, I, w- I would love to. I would okay. love to. Um, and a lot of what I say on Twitter may seem a little bit out there, but uh, I swear most of it is grounded in in reality and like lived reality. So when I had first moved to Toronto, nineteen tw- uh, nineteen years old. Uh, which was about 20 years ago now. Um, I got into reviewing cars at 19, and uh, Mitsubishi Gallant was my first press car. Uh, and I was, you know, doing that uh, while I was still in college. And when you're on a college kid's budget, you know, filling up the tank of gas uh, at the end of the test and all that stuff, you know, it wears on your finances. And I was happy to get that staff writing job and and progress in my career, but when I what I was was slowly realizing after being indoctrinated at a at a very young age into like my first word that I spoke was car, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, you'd be sitting in traffic and looking over, especially in Toronto uh, when you're down on the the Gardner Expressway and looking over at the people on Lakeshore. And I'm like, that jogger is passing me again. <laughs> you know, that cyclist is gone. And so I slowly came around to the idea of like, well, I'll, I'll walk more, I'll, I'll bike more. And it got to the point where when I was like the editor of Simpatico Autos, um, I would just commute via bicycle every single day, uh, even in the winter. And uh, I didn't really get press cars anymore. I would get them, you know, in a select for select ones or, or whatever, like if we were doing group testing or videos and things like that. So I, I certainly was still 
driving and keeping up with what was happening happening in the industry. But being on a bicycle also then gave me, you know, an entirely new perspective for, um, you know, city design, uh, how drivers, when they're making right-hand turns and they're on their cell phone and the red, the light's red, like you can, you can just feel them pulling out in front of you. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, you what's in their way. Of, you get a sixth sense yeah. of who's paying attention, who isn't. Um, I, I wanted to add to this because, um, when you're on a bike or walking in a in a busy city like this, you realize how much more vulnerable you are and how little some of these these drivers care about you in any way, right? Exactly, and and it's it's really strange um, where I, I feel like people in cars have an almost magnetic attraction to uh, cyclists and pedestrians. Whereas whenever I've been driving small cars, and I mean, I've driven the world's smallest car, the PLP 50, uh, I've driven Messerschmitts, I've driven, I have a smart car owner, I had a car to go membership for a long time. Um, it, as long as you were in a four wheeled thing, you were somehow safer. Yeah. You know, it was like maybe an accident in an accident sense, it was like a smaller hit target <laughs> for other motorists. But as soon as you were on a, a bicycle or, or you know running shoes or whatever, like you were just completely invisible, and it it's a really jarring feeling. And it's I don't think it's you know I don't think people get into their car and say to themselves, "Oh, I'm going to pretend that no one else is around and just <laughs> do whatever." But you know because of the way our cities are designed, uh, the frequent stoplights, stop signs. Um, they often encourage, I think, cell phone use, you know, um, having construction zones, it makes you want to pick up your phone. Like I, I used to use my phone while I was driving before the, you know, the, the device ban that, that happened, uh, across our country, you know, many years ago. And yeah, there were a couple close calls where you'd be putting in a GPS thing or, or trying to respond to a message. And then you're just like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Sammy plays a lot of video games behind the wheel and I've been trying to get him to stop, but he says he's just trying to level up. I don't know, don't yeah. know what that means. <laughs> if, you, if you stop, man, people surpass you just like that. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's incredibly dangerous. I, I won't drive with him anymore unless he's uh, wearing his restraints. That's not true. That's Honk not twice true. if yeah, you agree. Exactly. Um, um, and, and yeah, like, I, you know, back to the tweet, like what was, I think, quite encouraging on Twitter especially is just the, the amount of positive, uh, the number of positive replies I got to that tweet. And a lot of people that I know are car enthusiasts, uh, or say they're car enthusiasts in their bio, uh, and people that are, that are cyclists as well. Like, uh, there's actually a, a massive amount of common ground between, between people using all sorts of transportation. Yeah. And I think the common ground is we just want to get to where we're going in an easier, cheaper, more efficient way. It doesn't necessarily have to be in an X3M competition yeah. or a Mach-E or uh, the latest Trek or Brompton folding bike, whatever. Um, but when you're in the mode of transportation, that respect often just sort of evaporates into nothing because, you know, if you're, if you're not in a car, you're always inches from the front bumper of something. It doesn't really matter if you're walking you know, near a parking lot or, or what have you, like there's always that clear and present danger. Um, and if you're in a car, there's always the sense of like, 
if I don't go the second this light turns green, the car behind me is going to honk and then I'm going to be embarrassed. (laughs) Or, oh my God, there's parked cars in the right lane and I have to accelerate in front of the car next to me to, to get in front of them. So I'm not holding, like, I think it just puts us into this weird rat race mentality. Um, that's good for no one. Well, I mean, also when you're in, when you're in a vehicle, as a driver, you're cut off from all other vehicles from a communication standpoint. Like you can't, there's no ability, you're in your own reality bubble and very little pierces that bubble that you don't have control over. So there's, there's no way to make any type of, you know, apology to someone. If you cut them off, there's no way to ask someone to get in front of them. There's no way to explain that you need to get over to that far right lane. And I think that that, that sensation of isolation is something that really drives a lot of behaviors that we see out on the road. Oh, completely. And that's also what actually drove me to get back into reviewing cars and testing out cars because um, it's a little bit enraging when I see the proliferation of screens in cars and all these you know apps you can you can put uh into a lot of modern vehicles uh wild functionality and that kind of thing and many automakers if you look at their accessories pages they sell bicycles (laughs) so someone someone knows at headquarters you know whether it be porsche bmw you know you name it that like People being distracted while they're driving isn't a good thing for anyone but the person in the car. No, and and there's so much, even going beyond infotainment, Sammy and I had this conversation, I believe last week or the week before, about safety systems that ask you to take your eyes off the road to look at a video screen or some type of display that's below the line of the windshield. And that's becoming an increasingly common aspect. And it's not just when you're backing up and you have a reverse camera or a parking camera where you're doing it at low speed and those screens are probably going to help you. But now we're getting screens where you're driving at highway speeds and you're starting to see um, projections on one si- of a camera view from one side or the other of the vehicle that's purporting to show you a blind spot. But in order to see that blind spot, you have to divert your attention from the road ahead. And, and, and in fact... Um, I, I just was reading the other day that uh, we talked about how Honda only was doing it on the one side, the far side of the vehicle from the driver, because their studies showed that showing a display of the vehicle to the left of the driver on, on the infotainment screen had absolutely no effect on safety whatsoever. Like <laughs> it, did, it didn't improve any kind of outcome. So we're getting very marginal benefits with, I think, in a lot of cases, no real science behind them. Most of the quote unquote science is, I think, designed to sell these features and to use it as a way to differentiate from the competition. And you start to get into a real gray area about information overload on the driver and whether any of this is actually helping. I mean, socially, I think yeah, good. what what Michael is saying is it makes a lot of sense to me. I think you, there are there is an idea of being selfish and in a vehicle. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it happens, but we suddenly just start thinking about ourselves first um, when we're, when we're behind the wheel of a, of a vehicle. And you, and man, people just get real angry on the road too. And I keep thinking like, is that what that person is like, you know, when they're doing regular things or is that just how they are when they're driving a car? Well, you're probably, you're also catching, inconven- you're also catching them maybe at like the worst time of the day when they're either going to work or coming home yes. from work because we live in a capitalist, stuck in traffic, we live right? in a like capitalist society that squeezes every single ounce of every second yeah. of time out of your life and forces you to, you know, use that, that lifeblood to oil the, the, the gears that, uh, that, that keep the economy moving forward. 
And that's not a pleasant time to be in a vehicle. <laughs> but I mean, when, when Michael, you've you've obviously uh, well, maybe I, actually this shouldn't be obvious, but both. M- sorry, one moment. Um, in addition to biking to work, I assume you've used public transit in the city, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what drove me to get a bicycle <laughs> in, <the first laughs> yeah. in Toronto. Uh, what about uh, in in Montreal? Uh, if you've been in Montreal, Montreal has a much more advanced or, or better developed uh, public transit system than Toronto does. Yeah, that was actually the first subway I ever rode uh, was in Montreal. Uh, I'd been coming to the Grand Prix, uh, you know, with my with my dad for many years. Um, and and yeah, like there's this this wonder and I think excitement of of hopping on a, a device, that, a thing that gets you from A to B. I've been lucky enough to, you know, try public transportation, high-speed rail in in Europe as well as Japan, and like it's just uncanny how you can be on a Shinkansen and it's shaking less at 160 miles an hour than like a Via Rail car does at 45 miles an hour, um, and it's through no fault of I think anyone here except for the lack of development, lack of education on on what is really going to move the needle in people's lives. You know, you mentioned being in a capitalist society. I think working remotely uh, is much more tenable if you know you're going to have a good internet connection on the train or if you can work from a train um, or if the train's on time. (laughs) That always helps. Um, And yeah, that's what is annoying to me where uh, a lot of the discussion in our major cities in Canada especially is like widening highways, putting a lot of investment in, um, into the transportation infrastructure, which which needs to happen, of course. But the the idea of like adding more roads instead of adding more transit and bike lanes and making mm-hmm. neighborhoods walkable and things like that, it just does not fly with me. Well, the the um, adding more yeah. roads has never in the history of modern infrastructure alleviated a traffic problem. In fact, it always makes it worse. It's it's the myth of unused capacity, which is simply not mm-hmm. a thing. The, the the idea that if you add more capacity, then the existing number of cars on the road will be able to drive more easily. What actually happens is every time you add capacity, it is instantly used up because people see that capacity and they think, well, now that there's more capacity, I can drive instead of taking the train. And I, I've read several books about this. It's not this is not a secret, and uh, it's it's the same reason why bypass roads around high uh, around major cities don't work to alleviate traffic either, because it overlooks the idea that the main the the, the city is the, what's drawing in the traffic. It's not yeah. it's not that vehicles need to go around the city and they're driving through it and they're and they're cursing the fact they have to go through it. It's because they're going to the city to either pick up cargo or drop off cargo or go to work or leave work. That the city itself is what's creating the traffic. So we. We have these odd ideas about how to manage traffic and how to, um, in in some ways, alleviate the stresses of driving that work at cross purposes to our actual goals. Agreed. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's been a fun motoring podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I think I've said this either I must have said it on the podcast. I say it to Ben all the time. When I have to go into town, I try to avoid taking the car as much as possible. Not only is it more expensive due to parking and, you know, fuel costs, but I also just feel more relaxed when I have to, when I can walk or, or take the public transit. Now that our public transit is not that great in Toronto. It's, it's actually quite embarrassingly bad, but 
I always feel more relaxed when I'm when I'm there. I feel like I don't have to worry about so much more than I do when I'm in a car. Sure, it's less like let's say comfortable, or I can you know sing as loud as I want to in my car, or I can make detours anytime I want to. But uh, if I have somewhere to be and and the public transit will serve it, that's that's number one for me. I, I love I, that. I, I'm unable to. I, I I haven't taken public transit since the beginning of of the pandemic. Uh, but understandable. The, the real reason why I haven't done it though, it has less to do with my growing agoraphobia and more to do with the fact that as someone who works from home, there are very few opportunities for me to drive the vehicles that I'm supposed to test. So I have to manufacture those opportunities. And that means that when I have to run an errand or I have to do X or Y, I take the vehicle so that I have an opportunity to put kilometers on it. Because if I don't do that, then I'm not going to have enough of a data set to review the vehicle. So I'm not necessarily the best case in terms of describing how someone would typically use their vehicle. I live in a super walkable neighborhood. Um, I'm between two metro stations. And I mean, I I wrote a comic book about the metro in Montreal, so I'm certainly in favor of it. Uh, But I can tell you that Montreal is a horrible place to drive. It is not pleasant. Um, We are, the infrastructure in this city has been crumbling for decades. And the, the city cannot keep up with the maintenance that needs to be done. And as a result, it is a constant, constant shifting tableau of construction that makes trying to get somewhere extremely frustrating. Um, it's one of the reasons why I've been trying to leave the city for a few years now, just because it's not going to get any better. I do personally happen to enjoy driving, and I want to live somewhere where I can do that without it being the most stressful thing in the world. So, Benjamin, um, I, I know what we were just talking about. I, I will go on the record as saying I love driving in Montreal. Um, I've never lived in Montreal, but the reason I love driving in Montreal has is more of the challenge aspect of it. Actually, <laughs> like anytime you can get from one end of the city to the other without, you know, ending up in a pothole, um, getting impossible. cut off by someone. 100% exactly. impossible. But like I aspire, I aspire to doing that. Nah, it's been <laughs> doing crushed. those things. It's been crushed out of me. This is a city where like, I've driven my Datsun down the Decary Expressway and had it bottom out in potholes Oof. on the highway Jeez. at like highway speeds. And and like people are behind me. They're like, you know, sparks are coming out from under your car. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of that. I think you – there's a nice audible reminder every time there's a spark. So it's not, it's not just a visual stimulus. But – it's just it's really crushed me it's really the city has has only gotten worse and i've lived through a number of major infrastructure renewals in my immediate neighborhood like the expressway that i just mentioned was completely rebuilt uh when i first moved to the city at the end of the 90s and the major highway interchange that connects to it was rebuilt i guess they finished that about a year and a half ago and they they took a they what was interesting about that we were talking about capacity earlier but the 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 turcot expressway had been designed in the 60s for a specific load of vehicles and when they decided to renew it and completely rebuild it and put a lot of it a lot lower to the ground than it was they didn't increase its capacity what they did was they made it capable of handling the capacity it currently had at that moment so the, 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 it had been at overcapacity for something like 25 years, and they merely caught up to it. They didn't add to it, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier in terms of the idea that you can't road build your way out of a traffic problem. And, you know, before we jump off the topic of cities, I will also go on the record as saying one of my all-time favorite roads to drive on is the Don Valley Parkway in Toronto going south mm-hmm. at about 3 a.m. or 4 yes. a.m. 
you know, when there's no one around, it's a really wide road, beautiful turns. It doesn't take that long to get from, you know, the north of Toronto down uh, down to the waterfront mm-hmm. at that time. But, you know, you, you see the city on both sides. You, you kind of are in a little uh, protected valley. Um, it's it's wonderful. But, like, who's who's doing that on a well, daily basis? It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because when I first moved to Montreal, I didn't have any friends and I didn't know anyone in the city. And I was I was 17 or 18 years old and I used to love just driving at night, like late at night for exactly those same reasons. I could not have any traffic problems. I could explore the city, figure out where things were, kind of get acclimated and stuff. It's no longer possible to do that. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's traffic at all hours now in the city. Yeah. And it's, it's been, always rush hour. It's been like that for about five years. And recent, as recently as this year, the mayor of the city made an announcement saying that there's no there's no longer rush hour in Montreal. That it, it traffic conditions are bad all of the time, and you can no longer count on specific times of the day being better than others. And I thought that was a really bold assert, assertion to make. I think it was because the city was trying to put pressure on the province to kind of start coordinating with it on, on work sites and trying to make things better. But the fact that you know I could go out at 2 a.m. any night of the week in Montreal and get trapped in traffic for up to an hour is absolutely insane. But I, be, before we do wrap things up on this topic... I, I think that the saddest thing about modern infrastructure is how it has made cities dangerous for pedestrians and cyclists while mm-hmm. making them simultaneously miserable <laughs> for motorists. Yeah, everyone and is in a bad mood. There's no winners <laughs> in this. It's it's not even a zero-sum game where like better for drivers makes it worse for pedestrians and vice versa. Honestly, everyone is losing all the time in many of the cities in North America, especially on the East Coast where they were never really designed. They're these organically grown cities that just kind of sprung up around whatever cow paths they decided to pave, you know, a hundred years ago when cars first started hitting the scene and the lack of design and the lack of keeping up with that design has really created this mess that we're in today. Yeah. And you know, you bring up a really good point as well um, with that. Like uh, I think living through uh, periods of incentives, incentivization of uh, for fuel efficient vehicles uh, you know, in the states, they had cash for clunkers. You know, you can get federal rebates on on vehicles here. I've I've had this belief. I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but like, if you just mandated that every new car had to come with a bicycle in the trunk, <laughs> I, I think the surplus of extra bicycles and non cars. You know, maybe people would put them up on eBay right away or Facebook Marketplace, whatever. No, they would be instantly um, stolen here in Montreal. Like you would get home, stolen. It would just be taken yeah, no. off. Like you would turn your back and look. <laughs> I I once owned a bicycle for thirty five minutes. It's basically what oh I'm my goodness. <laughs> but you know, then you'll just go go out and and steal someone uh, steal a bike from someone else, and then you'll have a bike, right? Uh, it works Mike, perfectly. Michael, you and I have talked about like the the the. the the fact that you know bicycles are great, but they also only serve a certain part of the population. Um, if you're oh, yeah. maybe if you're elderly or you're 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 not able to cycle for various physical reasons, um, you're going to be relying on public transit infrastructure more so more so than cycling. And then the public trans- transit infrastructure is often held hostage by the state of the mm-hmm. road infrastructure that it's running on. Well, for sure. Or if you're in a, a smaller town, a more rural area, you're also depending on your family and friends to drive you to your appointments, which yeah. adds traffic anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's better just to, you know, again, uh, I think efficiencies for efficiency's sake, uh, like house calls would, would be great. I think I'd like to experience a house call from a doctor, you know, 
I'm not letting anyone. Doing? I'm not letting anyone, anyone into my compound. I'm sorry. That's a hard line. That gate hasn't opened since before the pandemic, and I don't. I don't expect it to change. Seeing the world from security cameras. Yeah, it's uh, it's black and white, but it's high def. I get good contrast. I can easily identify facial features. These are all crucial things to keep in mind when specking out a system. Are you DoorDash? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? They're not getting my phone number or my address. No way. Yeah. I'm 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 exclusively drone drops when it comes to food orders at this point. And then I I have a uh, Have you seen the movie Men in Black? Okay. Anyway, I can't remember. It's an old. Oh, that's great. Well, I use a neuralizer. Is it an 80s movie. I use the neuralizer on the drone, so it forgets my address because that's how technology works. <laughs> that's how it works. Yes. <laughs> Sammy, um, is yeah, there anything yeah. else that you wanted to talk about today? Now that we've we've had one of the most introspective podcasts in a long time. I mean, this no, is I'm this feeling, goes way I'm deeper than fun. fan talk. Definitely. I'm feeling uh, very fulfilled with this conversation. And I'm actually really hoping that our listeners chime in and tell us whether or not we just live in a really poorly planned. I mean, we know we live in poorly planned cities or neighborhoods. I mean, where, yeah. Where... Is there anyone out there who whose city is actually a pleasure to drive in? Because I would like to hear. I, I have a strong suspicion that there are some mid-sized cities in North America that are pretty decent to drive in. And that yeah. it's the larger ones that are really dropping the ball at this point. I think that's true. And I want to hear from those people because um, that's interesting to me and because I want to believe I want to believe that there's something good out there. And I also want to um, stress there's that there's something about Montreal that's unique uh, or at least somewhat unique is that it's on an island. So there are only so many access points on and off. And that's the kind of thing you create these choke points and it, and it really does remove options um, from drivers. And I know there are, there are, you know, New York City is an island and there are places like Pittsburgh that have a lot of bridges to deal with. Uh, but I'm sure that once you remove that from the equation, I mean, with Toronto, you're kind of just always in Toronto, right? Like it's like 150 miles of Toronto from from the center, wherever <laughs> yeah. you look, like you go to the top of the CN Tower and everything you see is Toronto, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's just it's just empty plain. Now, if you do want to uh, get in touch with us, I really recommend you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You can fill it out. Um, and when you fit, when you hit submit, um, it lands in our inbox. It's very, it's very useful that way. That's how I got can... on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> just to totally interrupt your outro. No problem. Um, he tweeted or... at us through the through the submission form. That's where like, we saw please. the tweet. <laughs> you can also email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find um, me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore high like you're laughing. Michael, you where are you ben? on Twitter? At Banovsky, B-A-N-O-V-S-K-Y. All right, there we go. <laughs> and you can find Ben on Instagram. You can also probably find um, Michael at, uh, on Instagram as well. Where can we find you on Instagram there? Oh. Uh, Michael Banovsky. Michael Banovsky, yes, that's me. <laughs> I'll do it for you. <laughs> um, and you can find uh, Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. I want to thank our guest, Mr. Michael Banowski here. Um, there's a couple of ways you can follow him in addition to the social media profiles we just linked. There's a website, speedster.news, as well as mayidriveyourcar.com. Those are some pretty right. sweet newsletters you can sign up for. Um, I'm, I'm certain that you won't, be, you won't regret it if you sign up for them. I signed up to... 
Michael's um, newsletter way back in the day. It was uh, Weird Cars, which eventually ended up being a, or Car of the Day, which eventually ended up being a, a really sweet book called Weird Cars. Um, and I love this book. Thank you. Yeah, that's, it's always great to hear from people uh, that have gotten the book. And, you know, one of the reasons I stopped was because I would go looking for one weird car and I'd end up with like five more. And uh, it was just getting overwhelming. I have a hard drive full of vehicles that are that are ripe for weird cars volume two or whatever it ends up being. But, you know, the first book was in black and white. I definitely want to make the new one uh, maybe illustrated or, or with some color uh, photography. I, I have a, a young nephew now. I think he's two years old. So I'd like I'd like him to have something to some quality automotive stuff to read, uh, you know, maybe in a couple of years. But uh, yeah, I mean, weird cars, there's literally no end of them. No, that's the Absolutely. way of weird, weird cars is they're, they're like gremlins. You get them wet and suddenly there's a dozen. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, ben, what are we talking about next week? I'm going to be talking about the 2023 Subaru Legacy GT, which has been redesigned sort of for this year. And I'll be talking about the 2023 Honda Passport Trail Sport. Oh, more um, trail sport talk. I I, yeah, I know you can't wait to tell me more about the trail sport this time in a slightly say, yeah a slightly smaller package, right, than the yeah. last one. One of the few cars that have the word sport in their name twice. <laughs> Passport <laughs> trail sport um, Ritter Sport <laughs> edition, where you open the glove compartment and these little Ritter sports, it's just stacked with them. But you have to eat them fast because in the summer they just fuse into one giant Ritter sport. Ben, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't okay. know what a Ritter Sport is? <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, I've lived this dude, Michael knows what a Ritter Sport is. I've been to is. the factory. I've been to the Ritter Sport Tell factory. Tell Sammy what it is. <laughs> it's just the best chocolate. It's a square chocolate. Yeah. Uh, for people like me that, that like things uh, neat and orderly, you can you can pre-break the chocolate before you even open the package. It's like a square Kit Kat uh, almost, except mm-hmm. the flavors. You know how Kit Kat has like a bunch of, they're all about the wild flavors. I think Ritter Sport is like the leading European chocolate when it comes to awesome flavors. Okay. Yeah. And actually, if you go to the factory, next time you guys are on a press trip in, in Europe or whatever, um, they sell them without labels. Uh, like you can try the, the like prototype ones. That's awesome. So they just tell you what's in it. But I, I can't read German, so it's like just get one of each. So that is it's like Willy Wonka where like you eat one of them and oh, yeah. you turn into a blueberry and <laughs> I, I it's that reminds me so actually Michael out near where you live in the Quaticook area, have you been to the Quaticook ice cream factory? I go like once a month. Actually, <laughs> I'm finishing up some some chocolate mint. I have this weird radar for for interesting cars and like really sweet, sugary, fatty foods. Uh, I'm right there yeah, with you. That's, that's a, a good intersection. It's a great yeah. road trip. To, that's a great road trip for anyone who's ever in the Eastern Townships. But the reason I'm bringing up the the factory is I'm sure you found the factory seconds test fridge that they have. Mm-hmm. So exactly. They, you can yeah. buy um, unlabeled ice cream <laughs> that is sometimes there's something written on it with marker or they'll like tape something on it that tells you what the flavor is. But sometimes you also just get like a white container of ice cream that you identify by the color and it's severely <laughs> discounted. And it's stuff that they either they made a batch and they tested it and they, they, they can't sell the rest of it because it doesn't go through whatever health protocols are required for it to hit the fat to hit the warehouse. So they just they sell it right at the factory itself. And it's amazing. It's like you can get sometimes two like weird one-off flavors that they're, they're not going to market because it didn't test well. So I'm a big fan of shopping for ice cream by color alone. <laughs> 
Yeah, I usually just like lick my finger, stick it in the top, and then taste it that way. See, that's and then why just they close the lid. Yeah, that's why yeah. they can't put it in the in, in the warehouse because <laughs> Michael is there every month doing his quote sure. unquote inspections. <laughs> Bring your own spoon; it's all right. <laughs> all right, Michael. Thanks again for for being on the show, uh, Sammy. Thank you for doing whatever it is you did on this podcast, and we will talk to everybody in a week's time. See ya.